Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Psalms, the 127th division. Psalms, the 127th division. And I want you to see what the Bible says as we consider Psalms, the 127th division. And we're going to look at the word of God and let it speak to our hearts because I believe that it is imperative that you and I understand what Christ wants to accomplish in our hearts. The Bible says something very beautiful in Psalms 127. If you're there, please say amen. All right. We're in Psalms 127th division. We're going to consider especially verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, it says, so are children of the youth. I want you to think about this. God is speaking about young people. In the mind of God, the mind of God you will find is very different from the mind of man. There are some people that have already probably prophesied your future. There are people today that will tell young people that you are a loser. You are constantly doing wrong. You always, you ever hear somebody say you always do that? And they, they kind of put these terms on you that have this forever context. It's like you're always going to be like this. You've always been like this. And this is how your life is going to close out. But while these words of discouragement often possesses the mind of the youth, here goes God giving us a very beautiful futuristic picture. He says that when I look at children, he says I look at them, number one, he says they are a wonderful heritage. But he also says when I look at young people, I look at them as arrows. Now, if you know anything about warfare, you will know, especially in these days, when arrows were used, that was an attack weapon. An arrow was not something that you would use to defend yourself. An arrow is what you would use to attack the enemy. So when you think about God's view of young people, God actually says, I actually look at you as my attack weapon. So when God looks at young people, he actually looks at you. He looks at me because I still consider myself young. Amen? Amen. Amen. You better believe it. So... You know, when God looks at us, he looks at us as instruments in his hands that by his grace, if we are molded and properly fashioned, God says he actually looks at us as his instruments of attack against the devil's kingdom. Any group this is on testing. All right. Now, any group, if you knew that there was a special attack force that was coming up against you. Would you agree that you would give very special attention to that attack force and do everything possible to make sure they do not accomplish their mission? Yes? Absolutely. So therefore, we need to understand that because of the fact that in the eyes of God, young people are his prophetically designed attack weapon against the devil's kingdom, that means that you become the devil's public number one target. Do you understand that? You become that number one target now because of the fact... So understanding that you are God's designed weapon against the devil's kingdom. You are the attack force. That means that you have merited Satan's hatred. I want you to understand that you have literally merited Satan's hatred. So whenever you think about the fact, why is it that my life goes through so many trials? Why is it that I go through so many problems in my life? Why is it that I am constantly faced with battle after battle after battle? One of the key reasons why that takes place is because God is trying to let you know you have been raised up for a very specific purpose. You have been raised up to accomplish a very specific work. And Satan is vehement in making sure that you do not accomplish the very mission of why God raised you up as his precious youth. So I want you from this day forward, never look at yourself for what you see in front of the mirror. Look at yourself through the prophetic lens of what God wants to develop within you. If you can make that covenant with me and with God, let me hear you say amen. So this is going to be point number one, is that whenever you wake up in the morning, you need to understand, praise God, God has woken me up this morning to give me the privilege to be his arrow against the devil's kingdom. I often refer to the generation of youth today as God's arrows. Don't forget that. That is your nickname. You got your name, your first, middle, and last. But at the end of the day, your nickname is I am God's arrow. God has raised me up because he has a plan to destroy the devil and his kingdom, and he has decided to use me to be an instrument in his hands so that we can attack his work, and by the grace of God, his work will be destroyed. Now, understanding this, I want us to go to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to the book of Genesis, and we're going to go to Genesis 35. Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis 45. Genesis, the 45th chapter. And what you're going to see in Genesis, the 45th chapter, I believe is very important 
as we are seeking to understand uh, some things that God wants to show us from his word. Genesis, the 45th chapter. And uh, when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. You remember that the Bible tells us a story about a man named Joseph. Now, when we think about Joseph and we think about the things that, you know, God wanted to accomplish in him, Joseph was a young man that went through crisis. Is that right? I mean, Joseph was a young man that went through tremendous crisis. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown in a pit. He ultimately ended up in uh, prison. He went through places of temptation, specifically known as Potiphar's house. He went through a lot of trial, a lot of challenges, and he went through it as a young man. But in the midst of all these challenges that he went through, I want you to see what was the reason why God allowed Joseph to go through these things as a youth? Why was it that God allowed him to go through that? Because correct me if I'm wrong, even though I don't know you, I can almost guarantee you one thing you have in your life are problems. Is that right? We know that to be so. We know that we got problems. We got challenges. We got issues. There are things that face us every single day that we have to make decisions for right or for wrong. And as a result of that, sometimes we get plagued with temptation. We get plagued with overcoming. And the challenges of life begin to beat up so hard on us that we begin to lose hope and lose faith. Joseph was getting beat up. Joseph was going through a lot of trials. But in the end of it all, when Joseph endured the trials, when he endured the temptation, and when he made it through the crisis, notice the reason Joseph understood from the word of God of why God allowed him to go through this. We're in Genesis 45. The Bible says in Genesis 45, and we're going to start at verse 1. The Bible says in Genesis 45, Joseph now is in an exalted position. And he is now standing before the very individuals who betrayed him. And notice how he speaks to them as it relates to this story. It says in verse 1, then... Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I mean, literally, Joseph is looking at them, and he's letting them know, you were wrong, you were foul, you were the ones that was used by the devil to sell me into Egypt. I am the same Joseph that you have did so much wrong to. But notice his further response as we look at the rest of the text. He says, I am Joseph, your brother. You were the ones that sold me into Egypt. But watch this. It says, now, therefore... Be not grieved. I like that. My young brothers and sisters, you must learn that even when people do you wrong, you must ask God to put within your heart an ability to pardon the individuals for what they have done wrong. Joseph had every right. He was now in an exalted position. He had every right to say, I have enough power literally by the snap of my finger to cancel every single one of your lives. He was in a full-blown position of vengeance. But Joseph understood that vengeance belongs unto the Lord. And you will find that when he demonstrated goodness, it actually reaped coals of conviction upon his brother's head. So he tells them, he says, be not grieved. Don't worry. Because you can imagine, you're standing before your brother who you sold out, and now he's in a position where he can literally command your death penalty. You would imagine you would probably be filled with fear, would you not? But here it is, he's telling them, don't worry about that. Be not grieved. But the reason Joseph was able to do that is because Joseph had a view of life that you and I must adopt. Notice how he had a view. Continuing in verse 5. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to do what? To preserve life. Joseph kept a prophetic view even through his trials. I want you to notice that you're young people. And sometimes you go through the drama of life and we begin to ask questions like, why is this stuff happening to me? Why is it that I'm going through this? Why did my mother die? Why did my father die? Why is it that my girlfriend cut me off? Why is it that I'm going through this trial in school? Why, why, why? And we begin to go through all these questions in our minds. And sometimes, in fact, most times, we often will take the trials and persecutions of life and we will throw the blame on God. We'll say, look at what you did. Why did you allow this? And then we try to take vengeance on him by saying, you know what? I'm leaving the church. I'm going to go ahead and go into full-blown sin. And now I'm going to go through problems of life without you rather than go through problems of life with you. I got a question for you. Does that sound silly? In other words, 
whether you're a sinner or a saint, you are going to go through problems of life. Name one person who is in the world that does not have problems. Name one person in the church that does not have problems. Problems are going to come to every individual in every phase of life, whether you're a sinner or a saint. The only difference is, will I go through it with God or will I go through it without God? So, brothers and sisters, it's very simple. When you go through the problems of life, when you go through the challenges and the trials of life, the goal is not that we are to say, well, you know what? I'm going to turn my back on God and still go and face problems, but now I'm going to do it without God. Would you agree that that's foolish? I would agree that's foolish. You know what happens to foolish people? Go to the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, and I want you to see what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7. I want you to remember this. Foolish decisions have very serious consequences, because you just agree. It is foolish to go through life and face its problems, which are inevitable. You just agreed it is foolish to do that without God. No matter what, we're going to have what? We're going to have problems, but the choice is, will I go through the problems of life with God or without him? Now, we agreed, if you go through life without God, you're still going to face problems, and to do that is a foolish decision. Well, let me show you the end result of what can happen when we make foolish decisions. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and if you're there, just let me know by saying amen. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, look right there at verse 17. Don't ever forget this. This is the end result of foolish things and foolish decisions. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7, 17, be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die what? Before thy time. When we do foolish things, the Bible says you can actually die before your time. You see, if you go back to Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 2, the Bible makes it very clear there's a time to be born and a time to die. Every single one of us have a time to die, if we're going to die. There's some people that's not going to die. They're going to make it to see Jesus come, and I'm trying to be part of that team. How about you? Now, in the event that I must die, I just want to make sure I don't die before my time. Now, the Bible makes it very clear how an individual can die before their time. It is when they do foolish things. My nephew Charlie got broke. He didn't have any money. He wants to go ahead and make money. I'm dancing in the entertainment industry. I'm dancing with all the stars. So I'm making thousands of dollars in a month. And he says, I want to go ahead and I want to make money like my uncle. So he tries to get into the entertainment industry with me. He couldn't do it. This is obviously before I became a seven-day Adventist. And when I was in the industry and I'm thriving and I try to get my nephew in, Charlie couldn't make it in. Nobody liked him. Nobody acknowledged him. Nobody paid any attention to him. They didn't feel his skill sets were good enough. So therefore, Charlie decided, well, I still want to be famous like my uncle. Literally, I became famous. Literally, I was on television dancing with all the various celebrities in the 1990s. So as a result of this, my nephew said, well, I still want to get paid. I still want to make money like my uncle. So you know what happened? He decided, if I can't make money like my uncle in the entertainment industry, I will make money like my uncle in the drug industry. And he decided to go ahead and sell drugs. And the night he sold drugs was the night he caught two bullets in his forehead and three in his stomach. The night he sold drugs. My nephew Charlie did a foolish thing. And as a result of him doing a foolish thing, I believe he died before his time because he lived in the hospital for four days in a coma and then he died, 19 years old. Brothers and sisters, God is trying to reason with our hearts. It is not that you're not going to go through trials of life. We are told in a precious little book, I want you to remember this book, it's called Messages to Young People. If ever there was a book that you all should be reading and understanding, is that book called Messages to Young People. And it is in Messages to Young People, page 117, that it makes a very profound statement. It says, in Messages to Young People, 117, the trials of life are God's workmen. It says, revealing unto us the roughness and impurity of our own characters. What does that mean? That means that it is possible to come to church and say happy Sabbath. It is possible to come to church and join a choir. It is possible to join a church and to sing about Jesus and talk about great is thy faithfulness. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. It is possible to be in a church and to say all the nice Christian stuff, but as soon as a trial hits us, the real you comes out. All of a sudden, the same God that we were telling everybody in the choir, trust Jesus, have faith in Jesus. As soon as the trial comes to us, 
all of a sudden we're saying, where is Jesus? How does that happen? It happens all the time. But you know what we needed? We needed a trial to reveal it. The trials of life are God's workmen revealing unto us the roughness and impurity of our own characters. You understand that? So this is why sometimes God allows trials. And that's why the next time you pick up Romans 5, you make sure you read it carefully. And when you read Romans 5, it walks you through those steps. It talks about how those who are justified by faith have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith, by which where we stand. And then it talks about tribulations. And it says tribulation supposed to work patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us and that is what Joseph had Joseph had a right perspective even in the midst of trials and as a result of that he was able to look at his persecutors in the faith and in his face and say be not grieved don't be angry with yourselves he said yes you sold me out but it's, he said, but listen, but God was the one that sent me here. Did you catch what he said? He said, God sent me here. You were the puppet. You were the one that was used. But he says, but ultimately God's will was being done. And that's why, go back to Genesis, but go to Genesis 50. Notice what the Bible says in Genesis 50. In Genesis, the 50th chapter, notice what the Bible says. This is why the Bible was able to make this point ultimately. And the more that you and I can understand this principle, by the grace of God, we'll be able to stand more strong for the Lord as we get ready to go through these final scenes of earth's history. The Bible says in Genesis, the 50th chapter, notice what it says as we consider Genesis 50 and now look at verse 20. This, this was the perspective of Joseph as he went through these various battles that he went through in his life. He says in Genesis 50 and verse 20, if you're there, please say amen. The Bible says in Genesis 50 and verse 20, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Notice that you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Don't lose that point. The reason why God is allowing us to go through the various trials of life is because there's an ultimate goal that God wants to accomplish, and it is going to actually realize in the saving of many people's lives. You see, I believe Joseph was not just a story in the Bible. I believe Joseph was a type of God's people in the last days. And therefore, when I look at Joseph, I see one who went through this, and I want you to notice this point here from inspiration. This is a very important point. You'll remember when Joseph was there and, you know, Pharaoh had the dream, and, of course, he wanted to understand the dream. And as we just read here, Joseph understood ultimately that God allowed all these circumstances of life to take place because he knew that it was going to result into preserving life. A crisis was coming. And as a result of the crisis coming, God wanted to use this young man to help ultimately work so mightily in him and through him that it would preserve life. Notice what the quotation from Inspiration says. It says, in all the realm, Joseph was the what man? The only man, that's deep, because there was a lot of people. It says Joseph was the only man gifted with wisdom to point out the danger that threatened the kingdom and the preparation necessary to meet it. And the king was convinced that he was the one best qualified to execute the plans which he had proposed. It was evident that a divine power was with him and that there were none among the king's officers of state so well qualified to conduct the affairs of the nation at this what? Crisis. There was a crisis coming. And the crisis was coming, and God wanted to prepare the people from a crisis. And from years before the crisis hit, God already had a plan, and it was going to be revealed in a young man's life. And God allowed Joseph as a young man to go through all of that because he knew in the end of it, even though he got older, in the end of it, God knew it is going to work out for the betterment of others. Now, notice this balance. I love the balance of these quotes. Look at what it says here. Joseph was given wisdom to understand two things, not one thing. When you are used by God, I'm going to submit to you that you are God's team that God wants to use to prepare the world for a final crisis. There is a final crisis that is getting ready to come to our world right now. The world and the church are grossly unprepared for this crisis. God wants to work through young people so that they could be instruments in his hands to prepare the world for the crisis the same way he worked through Joseph to prepare his world for their crisis. Joseph had to be a very consecrated man. And when I come to you in our second session, we're going to talk about the consecrated life. 
We're going to talk about the consecrated life and where it begins. But I want you to see this. When Joseph was used by God, notice he had two powers. Oh, if we could understand this under the context of the third angel's message. It says, in all the realm, Joseph was the only man gifted with wisdom to point out the what? So part of Joseph's work in inspiration was that he was able to point out the dangers that was getting ready to come. Is that right? But brothers and sisters, if all you know how to do is tell everybody about the danger that's coming, but you don't know how to do the second phase, after a while, your warnings begin to sound like sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Notice the other element that it was imperative that Joseph had so that he could really prepare the people for the crisis. It says, not only did he point out the danger that threatened the kingdom, but it says, and the what? Preparation necessary to meet it. It is imperative that while God wants to work through you to let the world know that there is something coming that we are not prepared for, and, <coughs> excuse me, and there's only one way that we can be prepared for it, God says it's not enough for you to simply know the danger, you must know the solution. You follow that? Your work as God's instruments to prepare a church and a world for the final crisis is that you and I must understand the danger, but we also must understand the preparation necessary to meet the danger. If you don't have that, you become unbalanced. There's another word for it. It's called fanatical. You follow that? So it is imperative that you understand this. Now, we can go through other stories. You remember Daniel. Daniel, he was a young man, too. And Daniel was brought in the midst of a crisis in Babylon. He was about to lose his life, and all of those who were associated with him, especially in the king's realm, they were about to lose their lives. You remember that Daniel came, and it was given unto him an understanding. And it was given unto him that from the beginning, God has wrought through his people to bring blessings to the world. To the ancient Egyptian nation, God made Joseph a fountain of life. Through the integrity of Joseph, the life of that whole people was preserved. Through Daniel, God saved the life of all the wise men of Babylon, and these deliverances are as object lessons. You see that? The deliverances that you read about in the story of Joseph, the deliverances that you read about in the story of Daniel, they were not recorded just so you and I could say, wow, that's a nice old story. God wanted you to understand, no, that's an object lesson. Because we are living in the time right now where there is modern-day Egyptian worship. There's a modern-day Egyptian climate. You see, in the Bible, Egypt was known as something. Go to the book of Exodus 20. Notice what the Bible calls Egypt, and you tell me, are we living in a modern-day Egypt? If you look at Exodus, the 20th chapter, look right there at the very first two verses. And you tell me if we're living in a modern-day Egypt. The Bible says in the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, if you're there, please say amen. Now, the Bible says in Exodus, the 20th chapter, notice what it says as we consider Exodus 20, and we're looking at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says in Exodus 20, 1 and 2, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the what? So when you think of Egypt, you think of what? You think of bondage. You think of bondage. That's what Egypt was. It was a house of bondage. Everything about Egypt was bondage. So now... Because we understand that principle, the question is, are we living in a modern-day Egypt today? Well, let's go to John 8, and let's watch how Jesus makes it plain. Jesus makes it plain in John 8, and you can understand that Egypt and bondage have a much wider, bigger, and broader understanding. And my question is, do you and I understand that we are living in a modern-day Egypt? And if we're living in a modern-day Egypt, that means we need a modern-day Joseph. Is that right? Amen. So notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of John, the 8th chapter, Jesus is talking to his Jewish brethren. And as he's talking to his Jewish brethren, he says in John, the eighth chapter, starting right there at verse 31. And he says in John 8 and verse 31, he says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth. And what's the truth going to do? It's going to make you free. Now, in verse 33, how did they respond? Verse 33, they said, We be Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How says that we shall be made free? We're already free. That's what they thought in their minds. So Jesus balances them out by helping them understand verse 34. He says in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth what? Sin is the servant of sin. Do you know another word for servant? Bondman. 
That's, an, that's another word for servant, bondman. So Egypt represented a house of bondage. And what kind of bondage was Jesus talking about in John 8 and verse 34? You know anybody struggling with sin? You know, hey, do you know anybody? Do you know any young people who are slaves to sin? I meet young people all the time. Do you know that having sex with a man or a woman before marriage is wrong? Do you know that the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you would flee from fornication. Do you know we have a generation of youth that are not fleeing from fornication, they're running to fornication. Is that right? The Bible calls that sin. Did you know that? So God was trying to help us understand there's a whole generation of youth, not just in the world, but in the church, and they are slaves to sin. They're in a modern-day Egypt. And if we're in a modern-day Egypt, then we need a modern-day Joseph. Amen. The Bible also talked about Daniel. Daniel was living in the, When Daniel gave that prophecy there, he was living at what time? What kingdom was ruling when Daniel had to make this explanation in Daniel 2? It was Babylon. Does the Bible talk about a modern-day Babylon? Yes, it does. Revelation 14, 8. It talks about there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city. Because she made all nations drink, of, interestingly enough, of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So we are living in a time of a modern-day spiritual Babylon. And if we're living in a modern-day spiritual Babylon, then that means we need some modern-day Daniels. You understand that? So whenever you read that, through Daniel, God saved the life of all the wise men of Babylon. And these deliverances, talking about Joseph and Daniel, it says are object lessons. You get it now? So God is literally saying, I am looking for, I'm on a hunt, I am seeking out young people like Joseph, young people that are like Daniel, that dare to be different, that have a love for Christ that is so strong that they're willing to even lose some friends for it in the process. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I believe there's probably nobody in this room that knows what partying was like, like I did. I grew up loving to go to the parties, loving to go to the clubs, loving to fornicate. Brothers and sisters, I defiled my body and my mind so much that it is a miracle that I could stand before you and even understand what's written in this book. I know what smoking cigarettes, cigars, and weed is like. I know what it's like to drink alcohol. I know what it's like to party and club all night long every day. I am a high school dropout. Didn't even finish school, brothers and sisters. I had fights so much that once I got over to 100, 150 fights, I just stopped counting. Got into fights all the time. Had gunshots shot at me, bullets passing my ear that I could literally feel the wind passing my ear from the bullet. Beating up people, going through all the trials of life and all these other things. And I understand fornication. That was my first, last, and middle name, brothers and sisters. I lived and ate and drank and lived for sexual relationships because I was a child of the world. What I'm telling you is that God can take a mind that is so enfeebled. God can take a body that has been so defiled. God can take yours and my life, no matter what condition it may be. And if we are willing to lay it before God and say, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I'm laying all my plans at your feet. Use me just today in your service and abide in me, abide in me and let all my works just be wrought in you. If we are willing to do that, God has this master capability of taking junk and making something precious about it. God knows how to do that. And therefore, the Lord says you can be his modern day Joseph. You can be his modern day Daniel. And he not only wants it, he needs it. And the question is very simple. If you and I are going to be willing to be counted amongst his team, you see, go to the book of Matthew, the 21st chapter. In Matthew, the 21st chapter, you're going you're gonna to notice this story here that I believe is absolutely profound as we are considering the work of Christ and what he wants to do in the hearts and lives of his people. And especially as we constantly are considering the young. I love this. I love this, brothers and sisters. I love working with my young brothers and sisters. People always try to tell me, man, working with the young people is hard. I disagree. I believe working with adults is hard. Because young people, for the most part, if you know, listen. There, there's a statement that used to be said in business, and it's true in ministry. In business, it is often said, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. All right? Some of the best businessmen are the people who understood it is more about me demonstrating that I care about these people and providing them with a product or service that meets their need in comparison to just trying to sell them something so I can get enriched. But this is the same principle that is true in the church. 
I have learned that if all I try to do is minister to my young people one day a week, which is the Sabbath, and I just go ahead and try to pile in all my ministry one day a week with young people, I am telling you right now, that is a program of spiritual suicide. It will never work. You got to get involved in the life of your young brothers and sisters. I'm talking especially to the adults right now. You got to get involved in their lives. And you got to realize their lives go beyond Saturday. Their lives continue on Sunday through Friday. Is that right? So therefore, you and I need to understand that if you can demonstrate a true love, care, and concern for the youth, there, something happens in their minds where they start saying, you know what? This brother actually cares about me. When you start opening your doors and saying, listen, come by my house. Let's hang out. And you go by the house and you hang out, not talking foolishness and sin, but you go ahead and try to be an inspiration. You try to be an encouragement. You try to educate them. This is what happens, brothers and sisters. Young people, their minds start opening. I've seen it happen a thousand times, and I've dealt with gangsters and thugs all day long. And I'm dead serious. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. I've seen real rough brothers know how to and pull the gun out. Some of them have guns right in their back pocket. And you go ahead and you say, listen, come in the house. And you go ahead and you still let them in your house. You let them eat your food. You break bread with them at your table. You let them spend the night. And you minister to them for real, for real. Those young brothers and sisters have no problem opening their hearts and saying, you know what, this person cares about me, and as a result of that, I'm willing to hear what they have to say. It's adults. It's the, the older we get is the more stiff-necked we get. And it seems like we're so unbendable and so unmoldable, and, and we get to a place where we're so hard. So I respectfully disagree with the, with the grand theme that young people are so hard to deal with. I have not found that to be my reality. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but young people are far easier to deal with than it is dealing with a lot of adults, especially when they're really educated. So I believe that God wants to do something special through all of your hearts. He wants to do something incredible in you, through you, for his glory. And I want you to see the picture, prophetic picture, as we look at Matthew 21. The Bible says in Matthew, the 21st chapter, starting right there as we look at verse 6. Matthew 21, and we're looking at verse 6, and if you're there, please say amen. Jesus told them to go ahead and get a donkey to usher him in, and here's what it says. It says, and as the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put, them, put on them uh, their clothes and they set him thereon, it says, and a very great what? So notice that a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes, notice that again, the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And then it says, and the who? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. What did the Bible classify the group? that was ushering in Christ as he was riding in on the donkey. What were they called? The multitude. Very good. Now, we're going to go ahead and look at verses 15 and 16. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children, so who, who, is it still the multitude? Now it's who? It's children. It says, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Notice that according to the text, the herald of Christ in his first advent started with a, what, what did they call it? A multitude. So the people who were ushering in Christ, it started with a big multitude. But who finished the herald? Children. The question is why? Why is it that when Jesus is riding in on this donkey and everybody are waving their palm branches, etc., and they're doing all these things, it started with a multitude, but now it closes with children. Why is it? Because somebody has to ask why. It, did you, it was put there in the Bible on purpose. God put that there on purpose to help us see the Hosanna started with a multitude, but the Hosanna finished with children. Why is it that God put that there? It's for this reason. Inspiration says, when Jesus drew near to Jerusalem, attended by the rejoicing multitude, that with shouts of triumph and the waving of palm branches heralded him as the son of David, the jealous Pharisees called upon him to silence them. It says, but Jesus answered that all this was in fulfillment of prophecy, and if these should hold their peace, the very stones would cry out. 
The people, here goes the reason why the transition took place. The people intimidated by the threats of the priests and rulers ceased their joyful proclamation as they entered the gates of Jerusalem. This is why it transitioned from a multitude to only children. The more that the Pharisees, who were jealous, they were so jealous of Christ. You know there's jealousy in the church today. It should not be, but there's jealousy. And Jesus was an ignorant man. You have to understand that. He never went to, an, an ignorant man in the sight of the Pharisees because he never went to the schools. So they were saying, listen, you, you didn't even go to our schools, so how is it that you know all these things? And Jesus said, what I teach comes from God. Here it is that he's pictured as an ignorant man, but now the Pharisees are jealous about this, and when the people are praising him and heralding him in, the jealous Pharisees began to say, you be quiet or we'll kick you out of the church. And you have to understand that this was, this was a known thing in Israel, that the Pharisees would pervert the words of God and begin to exercise authority that God never gave them. So they got to a point that even if you confess Christ, we will kick you out of the church. And people, unfortunately, they had a misunderstanding of the church. The church is an instrument of Christ, but the church is not Christ itself or himself. Now, why do I make that point? It's because there are some people that believe as long as I have church membership, I am saved. That is not only erroneous, that is dangerous. And that's what was believed in the time of Jesus. How do we know this? I'm not going to have you read it right now, but I challenge any of you, just go back to John 9, and you read John 9 and John 10. When you read John 9 and 10, you will see that there was a man who was born blind. And when the man who was born blind, he, you know, got cured. He got healed by Jesus. And when uh, he was healed, the Pharisees were so mad that this took place, that literally they brought his parents in. They said, we're going to get your mother and your father. And they brought his parents in. And they asked his parents, is this your son? They said, yep, that's our son. They said, was he born blind? Yep, he was born blind. He now can see. Yep, he sure can see. And then they said unto him, they said, okay, explain this. How is it that he was able to see? And all of a sudden, the mother and father gave what, what appeared to be a very intelligent, logical statement. They said, he's an adult. Let him answer for himself. That sounds very logical, doesn't it? But the next verse tells us very clearly that the reason they said that was because they were fearful of being put out of the synagogue. Can you imagine? People were scared to confess Christ lest they would lose their church membership. Brothers and sisters, listen, I am an elder ordained and part of God's organized body of Seventh-day Adventists. But if anybody were crazy enough to try to tell me Dwayne Lemon, if you keep preaching Jesus and his righteousness, and if you continue to do that, we will sever your church membership. I will tell them you can have your church membership, but give me Jesus. If you're going to put my back against the wall and make me say, either serve Christ or serve us, I'm serving Christ. What do you say? And so, and, and amen's a week, too. <laughs> Seriously, a bunch of fearful people. God can't work through none of you if you're going to be too fearful to stand for his truth. You will disqualify yourself. You hear me? You got to get to a place that you know that Christ and his truth is what is paramount. God can't use you if you're going to allow fear to govern your hearts. The jealous Pharisees told those people, shut your mouth, stop your herald. And the people actually listened. But there was a group that didn't listen. And I say, praise God for that group. And I want you to notice what the quotation says next. It says, but the children, so while the great multitudes of the adults, while they stopped, it says, but the children in the temple courts afterward took up the refrain and waving their branches of palm, they cried, Hosanna to the son of David. When the Pharisees sorely displeased said unto him, here is thou what they say, Jesus answered, yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Now watch this last point. It says, as God wrought through children at the time of Christ, what advent? First advent, it says, so he wrought through them in giving the message of his second advent. God's word must be fulfilled that the proclamation of the Savior's coming should be given to all peoples, tongues, and nations. Now, this was actually speaking about the time period of the 1800s. 
there were a group of young people. You're reading Great Controversy 367, but if you go back one page, Great Controversy 366, the people who were doing this, these children, it actually says they were called child preachers. And it says they were as young as six and eight years old. I want you to think about that. Young people at ages of six and eight were actually telling people, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And God says the same way I did that then in the 1800s. God says, so it is that I want to do that now with my youth. God wants you to understand you are his arrows. The same way that there was a crisis in the days of Joseph, God says, I'm going to use Joseph. The same way that there was a crisis in the days of Daniel, God says, I'm going to use Daniel. The same way there was a crisis in the days of Jesus. Anytime Jesus is in your presence and you don't recognize who he is, that's a crisis. Would you agree? Jesus is in their presence, but the grand majority of the people don't recognize him. But it was young people that says, you know what? Adults, you may cease your herald. But the children said, I remember when Jesus held me on his lap. They said, I remember when he told me stories. They said, I remember when Jesus healed me and helped me to see and to hear and to speak. And these young people had their own experience with Christ that they said, even when the adults will cease their herald, they said, we'll just take their energy and we will gather warmth from their coldness. We will gather courage from their treason. And we will take the strength that they once had and we will finish what they started. And that's what those young people did. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, my young brothers and sisters, there's one more crisis getting ready to come. This crisis is the one that's going to hit this world. And it's going to hit the majority of the people in this world as an overwhelming surprise. The Bible speaks of this great crisis called the mark of the beast, which is the enforcement of Sunday law. And these agitations are happening all around us. I don't know if you're paying attention to what's happening with Pope Francis and the ecumenical movement. I don't know if you even pay attention to that. Some of us know more about Kanye and about Kim Kardashian than we understand about the movements of the papacy and all these other things happening in our world. But if we can just ask God to wake us up, listen to me very carefully. The, the devil wants you to pay more attention to the foolishness of the world than to the prophetic utterances of Jesus Christ, because as long as we stay asleep, Satan continues to run rampant and to unfit this world for the final crisis. God is looking for Joseph's. God is looking for Daniel's. God is looking for little children, young people, that are willing to do what everybody else it would seem to be are fearful of doing, and that is to stand for the truth though the heavens may fall. And I'm so thankful that there are adults. You see, I am young, but I am an adult. So there are times that I relate to my young brothers and sisters and I go ahead and work with them, but I also understand that I'm an adult. I'm 43 years old. I mean, that's, that, I, still, I say 43 years young. But I do realize that I'm getting up there in age, and all I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that we must understand that there are some adults that are getting on board. There are some adults whose eyes are opening and realizing the present truth. They're understanding we are living in a very serious and solemn time in earth's history, and there's a great work to be done and little time in which to do it. And as a result of that, there are adults that are willing to grab the hands of the youth and say, may God use me to help fit and strengthen and so rightly train an army of youth that they, by the grace of God, will be instruments in his hands to finish his work. And so it is that God simply leaves an opportunity before you. Oh, I wish that a camp meeting like this um, could be the place for it. But you need training. You need instruction. You need very serious, hardcore focus because it is Satan's plan to make sure you love pleasure more than you love God. But I am so thankful that God is raising up people. Some of them are fishermen. Some of them are people that do not have any education. But guess what? God is also using some people who do have education but they're using their education in a right fashion. God is making a call to say all hands on deck because time is almost finished. And I know that some of us right now, we love hip hop, we love R&B, we love the various points of entertainment in our world. I understand it 
because I've been there and I've done that. What I'm telling you is, is that I marvel that God can take things you once loved and he can cause you to hate it. It is a miracle, brother. You don't understand. I used to wake up in the morning and just get up and just hit the play on the, on the radio just so that I could just hear my boom, 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 boom. You know, hear my thumb and hear the music so I could just wake up and just be like, all right. And then, you know, I'm ready to just go ahead and start enjoying my day to my hip-hop music, my R&B, calling my boys up. All right, where are we going to go? What's next? And I marvel at how God can cause me to one day wake up, and now I love to hear hymns. Now I love to hear these songs that tell stories about experiences in people's lives. It's a miracle what God can do in your heart that the things you once loved, you can hate. And the things you once hated, you can love. With Christ, this is possible. But you're going to need some strong training. And so when I come back in our, in our second session uh, later this week, I'm going to talk about some special tools you're going to need. Because you're going to need some tools. And I'm so grateful because I know my dear friend, my good brother, Sebastian Braxton. I know that he's going to come to you later on today, and he's going to enable you. He's going to give you some nice tools. And I know his background, too, and I know the Lord's been using him, so I'm, I'm very uh, confident. I believe he's going to do something special with you all throughout this week, as well as Pastor Walsh and uh, the many others who have been appointed to minister to your hearts throughout this week. I just simply want to play my part faithfully. So when we come back together on Friday, we're going to talk about practical tools, what you're going to need to finish this work, and where does it begin? That's going to be our focus when we come back. But if you've heard enough today to say, you know what, I realize that I am part of God's prophetic team. God has a special work that he wants to accomplish. And as he worked through Joseph and Daniel in times past, God wants me today to be his modern day Joseph. He wants me today to be his modern day Daniel. God wants me today to be the modern day children of the youth as we have read about in inspired history. And if you believe that that's what God wants to do and you're willing to comply, you don't know the whole picture. You don't know what is ahead of you. You may not realize fully what it is that you're about to get into, but you realize, you know what? This man has said enough, and I've heard the word of God clear enough that I understand I do have problems, but it's better to go through it with God than without him. And therefore, I am going to renew my devotion to the Lord, and I am going to avail myself that through the power of his spirit, I can be part of his team that will finish the work in this final generation in earth's history. If that is a covenant that you are willing to make with God for real, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. You're standing to your feet because you recognize it's a covenant that I'm making with God and I'm for real. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I remember when I went over there to Edmonton. And when I went over there to Edmonton in London and I talked to those precious young brothers and sisters there. And I remember that we talked about some very serious and startling things from the word of God. But do you know that I saw so many young people that responded to God's message? They responded to God's truth. But here's where it got exciting. It was probably three to four months later. The devil has a way of coming in when the preachers leave. And he has a way of destroying the work that was accomplished. You have no idea how much it warmed my heart. When I heard from those precious youth at Edmonton, and they said, Brother Lemon, we're still holding on to the faith. And they started talking about the real changes in their life. Some of the girls, they changed their dress. Some of them realized, you know, there's a way I was dressing before that wasn't to the honor of God, but they made a change. They said, I want to glorify God even in my body. Some people, they changed their diet. Some people, they changed their recreations. They no longer were wasting time. They started getting more involved in evangelistic effort and winning souls for Jesus Christ. Some of them today are actually studying and preparing to go ahead and, by God's grace, be pastors, missionaries, and evangelists. Brothers and sisters, that is the testimony that an evangelist wants to hear. This is my hope and my prayer for you, that this is not an emotional decision, but this is something where you are making a covenant. God takes covenants seriously. And this is why you're going to notice, I don't know if you have this already, but there's this little appeal card. And if you have it, I want you to look at it carefully because there may be some of you that says, listen, I've never even given my heart to Jesus. I've been going to church, but I've never surrendered to Christ. I've never confessed him as my Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that, then I want you to go ahead and check that area where it says, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Some of you, you're saying, you know what? I need to get fit. I need to get trained. Well, there's a school here. 
There's a school that you can participate in that you can begin your journey. And that school is also referenced here right on the page. You can go ahead and say, let me see how the Lord can work through me, that he can use me. There are many things that you can see. You check whatever it is that is applicable to your life and your personal experience. And I believe the Lord will bless. So we're giving these out now. So you go ahead and you take these and prayerfully look through it. Prayerfully look through it. Every one of you, you can take one. Prayerfully look through it and ask yourself, where is the need for me? Where does it fit for me? And by the grace of God, as the Lord speaks to your heart and he gives you clear direction from his word, go forward. Go forward in faith. Let nothing hinder. Go forward and be settled in being part of God's team that will go forward and finish his work in this generation. As you're filling these out, there's going to be some time that you're going to need to do it and think about it. So while they're giving it out, I'm just going to pause for a word of prayer and then you can continue filling them out. And then after that, we will progress with the rest of the day's uh, things that have been set for us. So let's go ahead and let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's consecrate ourselves before the Lord. Now, I'm going to kneel to do that. And if you can, why don't you kneel with me? Let's kneel together. We are taking this consecration very seriously. And I believe the best way to do that is on our knees. Father in heaven, we kneel before you as your arrows. We recognize that we have been called to be your special attack force against the devil's kingdom. There is much that could have been said, but very, very little time. But I pray that just the few gems that we have learned from your words of inspiration, help us, Lord God, to take, take what we have learned and to take it seriously. We know that the devil's going to do all that he can through, the friend, through friends, associations, through boyfriends and girlfriends. Some of us are going to need to make some serious decisions. There's some people in our lives that need to be cut off. There's some people and influences in our lives that we need to just close the door of temptation so that we do not fall because we have made a covenant with thee today and we are serious about it, Lord. I pray that you will bless beyond our expectations every single one of my brothers and my sisters. Please help us that we will be faithful to the calling that you have placed upon our lives. We are living in a modern-day Egypt. We are living in a modern-day Babylon. And as a result of that, you need some modern-day Josephs. You need some modern-day Daniels. Lord, we are willing. Please, you, be the one to make us able. And I am thankful that we can put our faith and our trust in you. So keep my brothers and sisters and help us to remember the precious words of the book of Jude that says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.